Well, good morning, everybody. My name is Tony. I'm one of the pastors here at Mount Tabor, and, and most weeks you're going to hear me up here preaching. Um, so if we haven't met yet, I look forward to the opportunity to uh, meet you after service in the lobby when you bring me your connection card. Um, I want to also welcome everybody who's joining us on Facebook Live this morning. We're glad that you are with us. Uh, we know that you'll probably watch several times online before you'd ever consider coming in person. We're okay with that. If you have any questions you need to work through, send us a message on Facebook. We'll be happy to go through that with you. But uh, for everybody who's listening today, let's start with this. Earlier this week, I found myself in a Porsche dealership. And uh, believe it or not, this is actually not the start of a joke. I, I know that I would start a joke that way, but I did earlier this week find myself in a Porsche dealership. Um, and here, here's what happened. One of my closest friends from high school, Bianca, uh, her mom and stepdad were getting rid of an old Christmas tree. I saw them post about that on Facebook. And here's what you need to know about Bianca's mom and stepdad, uh, Barb and John are their names. Uh, what you need to know about them is they are rich. I mean, they are wealthy people. And so it piqued my interest when they said they were getting rid of their old Christmas tree because I know that whatever Christmas tree they're getting rid of is going to be so much nicer than any Christmas tree I would ever think about buying. And so I reached out to Barbara and said, hey, I'd be, I'd be interested in this Christmas tree. How much do you want for it? And she said, no, 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 we just want to get rid of it. So if you come get it, we would be happy to give it to you. And I went, yes, Christmas tree coming to me. I even said it so it would rhyme, right? And uh, so we start working on logistics, how we're going to get together Turns out the thing that made the most sense was for me to drive up to Indianapolis and meet her husband, John, at his work, and he is the general manager of Tom Woods Porsche in Indianapolis. So there I was at a Porsche dealership, and I walk in, and the receptionist behind the counter, very sweet lady, she says, can I help you? And let me say, it's not the kind of can I help you that somebody says when they want to help you. It's the kind of can I help you that somebody says when you're at a Porsche dealership and you don't have enough money to buy a Porsche and she just wants to know what in the world are you doing here. <laughs> and so it didn't take me very long to decide to have some fun with this lady. And so what I said is, yeah, I've got a pickup scheduled with John Moses. Can you take me to his office, please? And I see her face change immediately, like, oh my gosh, this guy's got a pickup with the general manager scheduled ahead of time? What, what do I need to do? And uh, so he, uh, she takes me there and starts to treat me a little differently, I noticed. And so John and I do this, hey, how are you? It's good to see you. How's your family? All that stuff. I haven't seen him in like a decade. And uh, so before he, before he looks up, he says, so where are you parked? And then he looks up and he says, oh, I see you. Apparently, it's not that hard to figure out where my truck is at a Porsche dealership. That right there, folks, 2004 Chevy Colorado LS, front-wheel drive with uh, one working turn signal. <laughs> Apparently, it's not too hard to find my truck at a Porsche dealership. Here's what I learned from that. Here's what I learned from that experience. Barb and John are just as nice today as they were a decade ago, and I... I do not belong at a Porsche dealership. I just don't belong there, right? There are some things in life that I'm just never going to experience, and owning a Porsche is one of those things that I'm just never going to experience. Here's a couple other things I'm never going to experience. I'm never going to experience 
watching a live World Series Cubs game. Now, don't misunderstand me, okay? This is important. The Cubs are going to go to the World Series again, and they're going to win, and I'm going to watch it, but I'm not going to pay the thousands of dollars that it'll take to watch them in person. How many of you believe the Cubs are going to go to the World Series again soon? I'll wait, all right? There's no service after you. I will wait all day. Get them hands up, right? Okay. <laughs> all right, so I'm just not going to pay the thousands of dollars it costs to watch a World Series game live. Here's another thing that I would love to do that I'm never going to do. I am uh, I'm probably never going to go to uh, the New Year's Day concert that the Vienna Philharmonic Orchestra puts on every New Year's Day. Um, so Vienna Philharmonic is one of the uh, the best orchestras in the world. They are world-renowned, and this is what their New Year's Day concert looks like. That looks pretty beautiful, doesn't it? That'd be a kind of a neat experience. They, they play uh, predominantly the music of Johann Strauss, and uh, I would just love to go hear this world-renowned orchestra play in this beautiful opera house, and I'm not going to do it because the average ticket cost is somewhere between eight and $10,000. So I'm going to watch it on YouTube again this year because there are some things in life that I'm just not going to do. I'm just not going to do that. And if I'm being honest with myself, things like the Vienna Philharmonic Orchestra, and those are for people, those things are for people who live in a different world than I do. Those are, those are for people who live in a different world than I do. They don't concern themselves with making ticket prices affordable for preachers. They don't do that. They don't have a lot of minivans rolling up to the valet at the Vienna Philharmonic. Let me take that a step further. They don't have a lot of minivans with solidified french fries and milk splatter rolling up to the valet at the Vienna Philharmonic. I'm not talking about our van, darling, just so you know. Okay? That was better when you weren't in the first service. Yeah. They don't, they, don't, they don't worry about someone like me. There's not a whole bunch of people that dress like me at the Vienna Philharmonic. And I bring that up because that's the way a lot of people feel about church. That's the way a lot of people feel about Christianity. They say, I'm not their target audience. They say, there's not a lot of people who dress like me at church. They say, church is for people who live in a different world than I do. And if that's what you're thinking today, I just want you to know that that's not true. Christianity is for everyone. Church is for everyone. This time is for everyone. I don't want you to just take my word for it. I want you, I want you to hear. I want you to hear that from the Bible. So in Luke chapter 2, that's where we'll be today. You can start turning there if you'd like. Or I'll have it up on the screen for you. But in, in Luke chapter 2, uh, it starts with the birth of Jesus. Mary and Joseph travel to Bethlehem for the census. There's no room for them in any of the inns. There's no place for them to stay. And so they end up in a manger. Mary has the baby. She wraps him in strips of cloth and lies him down in a manger. And after that, here's what we read, starting in verse 8. That night... There were shepherds staying in the fields nearby, guarding their flocks of sheep. Suddenly, an angel of the Lord appeared among them, and the radiance of the Lord's glory surrounded them. They were terrified, but the angel reassured them, don't be afraid, he said. I bring you good news that will bring great joy to all people. 
the Savior. Yes, the Messiah, the Lord, has been born today in Bethlehem, the city of David. You will recognize him by this sign. You'll find a baby wrapped snugly in strips of cloth, lying in a manger. Suddenly, the angel was joined by a vast host of others, the armies of heaven, praising God and saying, Glory to God in highest heaven and peace on earth to those with whom God is Please. This is where we're going to be at today. And I want, to, I want us to consider what we've just read here for a second. An angel goes to a group of shepherds and gives this message that the Messiah has been born. And I don't know what, what you think about angels, but here's, here's what I think is happening right now. I think what's happening is you're going, hey, you know, I've been to a Christmas play. I've been to a Christmas program or two in my day. And I know, I know how this works. The, the angel goes to the shepherds, and that's just how the story goes. Nothing strange about it. This is just perfectly normal. I've heard this story my whole life. Can I tell you that if you were living in first century Jerusalem, this would be incredibly out of the ordinary. This is not how the story should go. And here's why. Shepherds were not well-regarded individuals. Shepherds were not well-regarded individuals. Randy Alcorn describes the situation this way. He says, a handful of shepherds, marginalized by the social and religious elites, were chosen to break the silence of the centuries, heralding the Messiah's birth. I don't want you to miss that line, marginalized by the social and religious elites. People in the first century viewed shepherding as a profession for criminals and 'er (laughs) ne'er-do-wells. So when the shepherds go, or when, they, when the angel goes to the shepherd, I can, just, I can just picture the shepherds going, what in the tinsel is going on here? This does not happen. Why are we the ones that are going to get this message? Shepherds were considered so lowly that their testimony was not even admissible in court. Think about that for a second. God gives his message to people who had no credibility. And I know that some of you may be struggling with that, right? That we, we don't think of shepherds as the lowest class of Jewish society. And some of you are going, well, wait a minute, hold on. Hold on a second. Let, let's look at the Bible because Jesus used a lot of shepherding language, right? He used a lot of illustrations that revolved around shepherding. And if, I'm, if my memory serves, isn't Jesus called... The good shepherd? Yeah, but Jesus also said the first will be last and the last will be first. Turns out he was kind of serious about that. But let's get back to our immediate context. Why does God give his message to a group of men who aren't even considered reliable enough to speak? It's because God's message is for everyone. God's message is for for everyone. It's not just for the social and religious elite. God's message is for the criminal and the 'er ne'er-do-well. God's message is the birth of the Messiah who has come to eat with sinners, tax collectors, and prostitutes. God's message is the birth of the Messiah who has come to heal lepers and cast out demons. God's message is the birth of the Messiah who has come to save people from their sin. And you don't have to be socially or religiously elite 
to be accepted by Jesus. You don't even have to be socially or religiously average to be accepted by Jesus. All you have to do is believe that you need him. God's message is for everyone. And ultimately, ultimately the fact that Jesus was first introduced to a group of shepherds kind of makes sense to me. Because again, remember what he said, the first will be last and the last will be first. Maybe, just maybe, Jesus was getting a head start on his mission to include the excluded. That's what he came to do, to include the excluded. And I don't know, maybe today you feel excluded. Maybe you feel like you don't belong. Maybe you feel like your past is just too bad to ignore. Maybe you feel like you fail daily, like you can't do it on your own. And if I'm talking to you, here's what I need you to know. Everyone else in the room feels exactly the same way you do. Nobody in this room is here because we think of ourselves as religiously or socially elite. We are in this room because we are sinners who need a Savior and we rejoice because we found Him. And His name is Jesus. On the night of Jesus' birth, there was only one personal invitation that was extended to go see the baby Jesus. And it was given to shepherds. Prophets, priests, and kings waited anxiously for this day for thousands of years. And the invitation went to shepherds. Because God's message is for everyone. Now, that, that invitation was extended to the shepherds, but it came from an angel. I want to talk about angels here for just a little bit. We start with just one angel, and here's what he says. He says, don't be afraid. I, I bring you good news that will bring great joy to all people. The Savior, yes, the Messiah, the Lord, has been born today in Bethlehem, the city of David, and you will recognize him by this sign. You will find a baby wrapped snugly in strips of cloth, lying in a manger. Notice what the angel says. I don't want you to overlook this. The angel says, I bring you good news of great joy. That will be for who? Hey, listen. Listen. Okay? I just want you to know the 930 did a lot better than that. Okay? I, I bring you good news of great joy. That will be for who? All the people, not the socially and religiously elite, not people who can afford Porsches or trips to the Vienna Philharmonic, not people who have season tickets. All the people, including the sinners and ne'er-do-wells, the tax collectors, the prostitutes, and the shepherds. Good news that will bring great joy for all the people. For all the people, shepherds and kings alike. Suddenly the angel was joined by a vast host of others, the armies of heaven, praising God and saying, Glory to God in highest heaven and peace on earth to those with whom God is pleased. I want to paint a picture of what's going on here. This is a vast host of angels, the armies of heaven. And what you're doing, what you're doing right now is you're inserting your experience with children's Christmas programs into what the Bible has going on. We put three or four angels on the stage when we have a kid's Christmas program, right? We don't have enough angel costumes. We don't have enough kids for the costumes. The stage isn't big enough, right? So we got three or four angels, and that's what you're thinking as not what's happening in the Bible. 
That's not what is happening here. This says armies of angels. So if we use the the U.S. military as an example, an army is about 50,000 soldiers. The text tells us that this is armies of angels. This isn't five little precious moments dolls parting a harp around on the stage, right? This is hundreds of thousands of heavenly warriors saying glory to God in highest heaven and peace on earth to those with whom God is pleased. You can go to Vienna. You can go to the Philharmonic every day for the rest of your life and you will never hear a more glorious performance than that. Christianity is for everyone. Now, I want you to look at what the angels have to say. They say, glory to God in highest heaven. It doesn't matter if you're a lowly shepherd or a general in a heavenly army. The reality that God is worthy of praise will never, ever change. That's why one of our core values here as Tabor is this. God must be glorified. Not God should be glorified. Not, hey, if we get around to it and we have enough time left in service, we'll glorify God a little bit. God must be glorified glorified, imperative. I want to tell you what that means for us here in everything we do. In everything we do, we do it with the idea of giving glory to God. So the sermons that we, uh, that we present, the, the lessons that we teach, the songs that we sing, the conversations that we have, all of it. We do it all with the idea of glorifying God because it belongs to him anyway. And we want to make sure it gets Glory to God in highest heaven and peace on earth to those with whom God is pleased. I want to put this in a really simple cause and effect statement for you this morning. Okay? I like cause and effect statements. When the glory goes to God, peace comes to us. When the glory goes to God, peace comes to us. Now, it's really simple. And maybe you're thinking, Tony, that's an oversimplification, don't you think? Let's look at it. Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 and 7. Here's what Paul says. Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all that he's done. Give him the glory. Thank him for all that he has done. Then here's what will happen. Then you will experience God's what? Then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. Here's what Paul is saying. When you give God the glory, peace comes to us. Because when we realize that God gets the glory, it takes the pressure off of us to be God in our own lives. And when we give God the glory, we are doing what we were created to do. Now, I I need you to understand that this this is actually a thing. This works, right? This is not just a preachery thing to say. So this has application in your life on a Tuesday, three months from now. Not just around Christmas, not just in a sermon. This actually works. You ready? So... uh, What's the opposite of peace? Uh, In the first service, some of them said uh, turmoil. Some people said war. I'm just going to categorize it this way, fear. Uh, We go across the board. The opposite of peace is fear. The things that rob us of our peace are the things that we fear. And in Mark chapter 4, Jesus was, he was, with his disciples, they were on a boat, they were crossing the Sea of Galilee, and a storm arose quickly, and uh, Jesus was asleep, 
in the boat. And so the disciples are starting to fear for their lives. And they go and they wake up Jesus and they say, don't you care that we're perishing? We're going to die, Jesus. We are terrified. What are you going to do? And what did Jesus do? He went to the front, the, he went to the, the, the front of the boat, whatever you call that. He, he went to the front of the boat and he said, peace. I want you to know something. I don't know what kind of storms you have in your life. I don't know if your storms are spiritual, financial, relational, emotional. I don't know what kind of storms you have going on in your life, but I want you to know that Jesus still has the power today to say, peace, be still. I don't know. I don't know what storms you have in your life. And frankly, I don't know who Jesus is going to say that to. Maybe he'll say it to the storms in your life. Maybe he just needs to say it to you. Maybe he just needs to say, peace, be still to you. And you'll continue to walk through those storms that you've been walking through, but you'll walk with the assurance that Jesus is beside you. So when we give glory to God, we know that our lives are in the hands of the one who holds it all together. When we give glory to God, we know that we are in the hands of the Prince So even in the midst of storms, we can say glory to God in highest heaven. And on earth, peace to those with whom God is pleased. Peace on earth. I like that idea. To those with whom God is pleased. Who's that? Who, who is it that God is pleased with? Who are those people? Right? I, I think we'd all agree that we'd want to be in that camp, right? That's, that's a name we'd want to be known by. Those with whom God is pleased. Who is God pleased with? Those who choose to give glory to God. Those who choose to give glory to God. I don't know who wrote this prayer, but I heard it in a sermon uh, a while ago, and it, it really resonated with me, so I want to share it with you. Dear God, so far today, I've done all right. I haven't gossiped. I haven't lost my temper. I haven't been greedy, grumpy, selfish, or overindulgent. I'm very thankful for that, but... But in a few minutes, God, I'm going to get out of bed. And from then on, I'm going to need a lot more help. Who is it that God is pleased with? People who realize they need him. That's who. People who realize they need him. We look at verse 14 as something the angels said, but understand that it's a pretty good way to live, too. When we glorify God, it will produce peace in our lives. When we give glory to God, it will clarify our choices. When we give glory to God, we establish a new priority. We establish a new priority. Let me tell you, let me tell you what that looks like. So um, Leah and I just finished going over our family budget for 2020, and we, we just finished doing that. And the last step that we always have in putting together our family budget is we go back over everything and we prioritize it. And so uh, let's say uh, something happens, I slip on a banana peel in the parking lot, and I hurt my back, and I'm out of work for three months, right? And, and so uh, our income changes, and finances get tighter. We prioritize, so it's easy for us to say, this goes, this goes, this goes, all right? We start with Netflix, okay? And then, you know, um, we still feed our dog, we don't buy him any toys, and all that, and we go on and on and on. And then on the other end of the spectrum, right, we have our grocery budget, 
that's a little bit leaner, but we still got our grocery budget, we still pay our utilities, we still have our tithe. And, and so what we do there is we have a plan so that when life happens, we know what our priorities are. And what I'm saying to you this morning is that when life happens, know what your priorities are. Glorifying God is a priority at all times. No matter what circumstances we're in, that won't be one of the things that gets cut. Now I've got to be I've got to be careful here because it's a it's just a hop, skip, and a jump to go from this to making the Bible our magic genie. Right? When we just like rub the Bible and all of our problems go away, or we pray with our hand on a Bible and then all of our problems go away. So here's what I'm not doing. I'm not saying that if you have financial problems in your life that are robbing you of peace, and you just pray with your hand on a Bible, all that's gonna go away. I'm not selling that, okay? I'm not saying that if you have relational problems, that if you just believe hard enough, then all of it's going to go away magically. I'm not selling that. What I'm saying is that when you trust God, you gain a different perspective. A perspective that our hope isn't in the things that happen in our lives. Instead, our hope is in the one who created life and redeems life. So I... Uh, I read an article the other day. It was a doctor, and he asked terminally ill children about the things that really mattered to them. I'm going to share a few of their answers with you. Uh, one said, I really love my dog, Rufus. His funny bark makes me laugh. Another said, I love ice cream. I really resonate with that kid. I love when mom reads to me. I want to be a great detective like Sherlock Holmes when I'm better. I want to spend less time worrying about what other people thought of me because my real friends didn't care when my hair fell out. I love when dad makes funny faces. And the thing that they all kept coming back to was family, 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 family. And as I read this, I was, I was struck by something. See, for most of us, life seems so vast that the problems we face will swallow us whole before we ever have the opportunity to get a grasp on them. But these children have been forced to deal with a different reality. They've been forced to deal with the reality that life isn't everything. Life isn't everything. And it's hard for us to understand that. Today, what I want you to know is this. When your hope is in the one who created life, it creates a peace that surpasses all of our understanding. God came to give peace. And that peace, it isn't for the religious or the social elite. It isn't just for season ticket holders. It isn't for people at the Philharmonic who drive Porsches. It's not just for people with fancy religious titles. The peace of God is for everyone. Ultimately, that's the good news of Christmas. And so the only thing I want to say is this. Glory to God in highest heaven and peace on earth to those with whom God is pleased.